It's the second Sunday of Advent, so we have the exciting, wonderful, uplifting subject of judgment. <laughs> the text for the uh, sermon comes from the Gospel. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves warring, wo roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In a sermon last week, Father Sean said, your life is a pilgrimage toward a specific destination. We will face judgment and spend the rest of eternity either pridefully turning our backs against the great gifts of God or enjoying the pure beauty of the Trinity forever. That is, we will spend eternity either in heaven or hell, and that will be our choice. The end and purpose of every human life is our relationship with God, the blessed Trinity. In part, we live out our relationship with God through our relationships with one another, our spouses, our children, parishes, families, neighbors, co-workers, and communities. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind and love thy neighbor as thyself. We who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, God's judgment is not a reason to despair. God's judgment is our ground of hope. In the colic for today, we gave thanks to God because he has caused all the scriptures to be written for our learning, that we might have hope. That hope based in this truth, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end, that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 15, Paul writes that whatsoever things were written aforetime, he's referring to the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we might have hope. This hope has always been present in scriptures from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, after the fall, when God speaks to the serpent tempter and says, cursed are you, there follows that cursing of the tempter, a promise. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, from the very beginning, God promised to bring salvation into this world and it was through a woman. One of my favorite paintings in the world, I've only seen once, and I could hardly see it because it was up 80 feet. The Sistine uh, ceiling chapel. And in the Sistine ceiling chapel, there is a small portion in which um, Michelangelo depicts Adam being touched 
almost being touched by God and God imparting his image to Adam. And in this picture, God is surrounded by angels and this beautiful swirling cloud. And in God's arm is a woman hidden behind his shoulder. And that woman was not Eve. That woman was Mary. Already the promise before the fall happened. Mary was there. God's uh, chosen uh, vessel to carry his son. In Genesis 12, God called Adam to leave his home and his family and to follow him where he would not know. And God would give him a land. He would give him children. And he would make him a blessing. That he would be a blessing, he would be blessed, and uh, others would bless him. Abraham was an old man, he didn't have any children. So he struggled with this promise. Later in Genesis 15, God comes again to Abraham in a vision. And he renews that promise. But Abraham, uncertain, says, but how can I be sure? How can I be sure you're going to follow through on these promises to me? So God invites him into a covenant. So the remainder of that day, Abraham prepares for the cutting of the covenant, slaughtering animals, laying them out on the ground in a, in a certain order, and then shooing the birds away all day. As the sun went down and it got dark, Adam fell, I mean, um, excuse me, not Adam, but Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And then, in the dark, a lamp and a light appeared, and it walked between the sacrificial animals. And that evening, as Abraham slept, God Almighty himself bore the full responsibility for that covenant, both for his terms and Abraham and Abraham's descendants. God took it upon himself to fulfill that covenant. Through you, all the families on earth shall be blessed. That's what he said to Abraham. And certainly God would see that through. Now let's skip ahead about 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 years. As Jesus' procession made its way slowly down Mount, the Mount of Olives, and as he came near to Jerusalem, and he saw the city, he was moved and he began to weep. Now this was not just little tears coming down. The man wept. He sobbed. Because he knew that the time had passed for the city of David, for those Abraham's descendants, the time had passed. And he said, if thou hadst known even thou at least in this day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes for sin blinds. For the remainder of that week up until the time of his arrest, Jesus spent every day in the temple teaching. One day, some people remarked to him, 
this is a beautiful building. Look at these glorious stones and the incredible decorations. Now, about 30 years earlier, King Herod, who, like many powerful men, wanted to build a lot of things so he'd be remembered, he took it upon himself to redo the temple. And this was his greatest building project. It was a massive expansion, over doubling the size of the Temple Mount. And by all accounts, this massive reconstruction of the temple was one of the most beautiful things on earth at that time made by man. It was lavish in scale. And at certain times during the day, the Temple Mount would shine and gleam in the sunlight. There are some of those huge, massive stones left to this day in Jerusalem. Jesus responded to their praise and admiration of this man-made beauty, saying, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be one stone left upon another, that all shall be thrown down. That must have been very shocking to hear. But he's just beginning. He goes on for a long time telling his disciples about the desolation coming. He begins by talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, how it would be uh, surrounded and torn down to the ground. He told them that there would be false messiahs who would come and lie to them and try to lead them astray. He told them that there would be wars and commotions, that nations would rise against nation. So far, that's pretty much happening all the time anyway. He comforted his disciples saying, but do not be terrified for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There will be earthquakes, plagues, famines, and persecutions. Families and societies will fall apart in anger and strife, turning on one another. He told his followers that they would be hated for his name's sake, and even some of their kin would turn them in or kill them because they bore the name of Jesus. He said that all this must take place, and that even now these things are taking place before our very eyes. For this is the world we live in, the fallen world that yearns and cries out for God's redemption. All these things, Jesus said, must take place, for they will precede our Lord's second coming. History unfolds according to God's will and purpose, because God's perfect judgment will be fulfilled. After Jesus spoke of the hardships to come in this present age, he spoke of a distant future. Quoting the prophet Daniel, Jesus declared that the entire creation would be witness to the coming of the Son of Man on a cloud and power with great glory. And at that time, the powers of heaven would be shaken. Terrors would come upon the earth that would cause humanity to fall into horror and dread. It's very sobering. He said that the nations would cower and they would cast their gaze down upon the things of this present world. They would look down upon the earth 
hoping for human progress, hoping that on human terms we could solve all the problems that have befallen us, but all to no avail. And as our culture gets darker and darker, as we turn towards those things which do not lift us up, but pull us down, it's good to know that God's judgment is the basis of our hope. The world, when this happens, will turn away. But what about the church? What about us, his people, who've been baptized into his name, who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, imbued with the heavenly virtues of faith, hope, and love? What about us who have nourished, been nourished on the bread of heaven? How are we to live in this present age waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come on earth? How are we to live as we see the world unravel and as we see Jesus' words come to pass time and time again? He said to those listening that day, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Look up. Lift up your heads. How do we do that? How do we do that? Father Glenn tells us, be attentive. Be attentive. That has changed my life forever. We are to be attentive to God through regular and frequent worship and prayer. And in so doing, as we, as we worship the Lord, as we come to the, to the altar to receive his body and blood, being ever transformed into his likeness, as we habituate ourselves on worship and prayer, we are be, to be attentive to God's will for our lives, and he lays it out pretty clearly in the scriptures, and we are to encourage each other in this, that as we weigh our habits and our desires, we must ask the question, are my habits and my desires according to God's will or my will? For the purpose of God's judgment is that we become like him. Then we are to be attentive to other people. For we are not islands living alone and little... Um, computer cells yet. We are to be attentive to other people, to, to look out for, the, for those that we love and care for, and to look out for other people in tangible and concrete ways, especially those who are closest to Jesus' heart, the widow, the orphan, and the outcast. We are to look up to lift up our heads as our redemption draws ever nearer because that is God's will for us. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.